everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Matt Lavender with New Again Houses. Matt flew in from Bristol, Tennessee. Talk about how he turned his real estate business into 47 franchise locations in 23 states. I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors, you get 10% off. And guys, if you get value out of the show, please hit that subscribe button. That way we can all grow together. You ready? Yeah. All right. So first question is, what was your life like right before getting the real estate? Well, the simple answer to that is I was a college soccer coach. Mm -hmm. But that story goes back to the beginning. That's this inter intertwined journey of sports and business and all of it. All of it's been transferable to real yeah. estate. Yeah, I love aspects of sports and coaching and how it translates into real estate. So you were at that time when you got into real estate coaching um, uh, college. Yeah, yeah, I was coaching college soccer. I I loved it. Like, I think when you're when you're a coach, mm -hmm. when you've got that in your when you've got that in your DNA, it's it's there with you. You yeah. you can't you can't leave it. And so, um, it, I I really enjoy I really enjoyed the coaching. The the problem with college coaching is very small part of it's actually coaching. A lot of it is bureaucratic. A lot of it is administrative. Oh. The, the recruiting is the recruiting's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but what really what really made me move on to something else was the feeling that I couldn't fully spread my wings without being dependent upon someone else, and so. Uh, an athletic director mm -hmm. or a middle manager at the at the university I felt like was dictating my future and I would imagine a lot of people feel like that in their in their job right yeah most people definitely do that's why I couldn't stick around um yeah. so then did you have that feeling and then you pursued something different or did you find real estate and then you decided it was time for a change well the the real estate goes back it, it goes back to my childhood really because I, I grew up in a small. I grew up in a small town. Mm -hmm. My, uh, I was the. I was the first. I think I was the first male in my family who didn't go to work at the local factory. And my whole childhood, I was told, "You're going to go to college, so you don't have to work at Eastman, which mm -hmm. is the big chemical factory there in, in in our area." And so that's all I heard. That's all I heard all my life. Mm -hmm. And so my my father was a. He was an entrepreneur at at heart, like he had the heart of an entrepreneur, but he didn't have didn't have the opportunity to spread those wings. And so he had um, some small businesses. He had a couple of franchises. One of them turned into a into a Dairy Queen. And I saw how hard he worked and how entrepreneurial his spirit was, and how happy he was yeah. there. But he always told me that the best investment he ever made was buying his buying an apartment and he lived in half of it mm -hmm. and then rented the other half. Yeah. And that's really how he got started. And I think that's what put him on a path to a middle class, a middle class life. And yeah. I never, i never forgot that uh, so he was, about real estate. Yeah. Decades in, ago. Yeah. In the early seventies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember him saying that and all the things that he tried and he did, he always told me that that was, that was, the, the most important investment that he, that he ever made. Gotcha. Yeah. So getting into uh, soccer, um, you were 
mean, this is trajectory. Did you have like a, a soccer? Did you play a lot of soccer? And then you, this, yeah. and then once that career ended, then you went to coaching, or was this? Yeah, you, you do in middle school, and you just kind of the, the the winds just kind of push you that way. Yeah, no, man. Every I played every sport when I was little, like everything: football, basketball, baseball, soccer, and played five sports in middle school. So mm -hmm. that was that was. That was my life. Like that was that was where I learned. That's where I learned life. You know, mm -hmm. learn a lot of life lessons in the baseball dugout, and you learn so much about life that you probably shouldn't know in a football locker yeah. <laughs> around the football team. Um, but I, I, I remember my my fifth grade teacher had a parent teacher conference with my mom, and she says, "Teacher said, Matt's Matt's got to learn that life isn't just a game." <laughs> <laughs> she was wrong. <laughs> well. Yeah, I've 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 been trying to prove her wrong, but I do think she was right. There's there is a lot to life that's not that's not a game. But um, so then in high school, you know, your your uh, heroes and your influences are usually sports mm -hmm. sports figures. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think back to you know how much those those heroes influenced me and maybe even values and, yeah. and approach approach to life um i was a massive dennis rodman fan and really? not because of yeah not because of the off the court stuff well, but because yeah <laughs> yeah um but man the the uh relentlessness that Tenacity. the guy had on yeah. basketball court and just the hunger to get the rebound mm -hmm. um he was so he was so inspiring to me. Like I grew up a Celtics fan, and I remember him shutting down Larry Bird in the in the playoffs. I was yeah. like, man, those Pistons! That's a great team to watch. And so, anyway, those guys ended up being um, you know you idolize them in high school. You idolize your you idolize your parents, and then um, I went on uh, went on to school. I majored in accounting mm -hmm. because accounting was just easy to me, and somebody told me that that would be a good career. Um, and then I went all the way through school, did an internship in accounting the summer before my senior year. I hated that internship. <laughs> and like to, to this day, accounting is the least favorite thing I do in my life. Uh, I, that resonates with me. <laughs> yeah. So, so then why, what pushed you into real estate? Well, so that, uh, when I finished that, I, I did that, I did that internship before my senior year of college. And so, man, I was, it's a little too late to change. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I went to, I went to graduate school, still not knowing. I fell in love. I fell in love with history in graduate school mm -hmm. and coaching. So I had some opportunities at Duke to coach and it was, it, it was just a great, great opportunity. So I got into coaching and teaching in graduate school and then right out of right out of graduate school, uh, I started coaching and coaching and teaching at the at the college. Right. And so I did that for twelve. I did that for twelve years. And um, you know, coaching coaching you just learn so you learn so much. Yeah. In in coaching, and part of it is seeing what kids can be, rather yeah. than just who they are. Right. So you see these eighteen-year-olds, and it's like I can see that there's something that there's something in there, mm -hmm. and then you spend four years trying to trying to help them right. tap um, into it. Tap it into up. it. Well, it's not all that unlike what we do now. 
right? It's not. Like <laughs> that's that's the that's the heart of it. But you learn you learn so much because you know in coaching, one of the things I miss about coaching is the feedback. Like when you're coaching in college, you either win or you lose, mm-hmm. and there's a scoreboard. Oh yeah, and it's pretty clear whether you've been success <laughs> you've yeah. been successful or not. It's a very tight feedback loop. And, yeah, and then you give an interview after, and you got to explain it, and so. You don't have that in business. Mm-hmm. Like it's a long-term thing. And so I do miss that about coaching, but it forces, it, it forces you to pivot. Like it forces you to acknowledge mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things I really learned from coaching and um, has been really transferable. Yeah. Yeah. So then you did it for 12 years. So why, yeah. Yeah, so, why into real estate? Yeah. So we, um, we started, my wife and I had always – um, just from my childhood, knowing that real estate was um, was what it was and the opportunity that it was, we started uh, doing fixing up some rentals. And so I remember our kids would be uh, in diapers on the floor. My wife would be doing tile work, and I'd be doing whatever. I'm not really useful, mm-hmm. um, and so but I was there. And so we were, we'd fix up a few house a few houses, rent them out on a, on a really small scale. Mm-hmm. And then in two thousand or in two thousand seven, I realized that I didn't want to continue coaching. I felt like I was living in a. It's just I, I, I explain it as as feeling like I was in a box that was too small, mm-hmm. and I wanted I really wanted to spread my wings and build a business where if I succeeded or I failed, it was because of me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because of some vice president or some CFO in an office that was going to dictate my success or not. Yeah. And so I wanted to build a business. I wasn't passionate about flipping houses. What I was passionate about is building a business that could flip houses. Mm-hmm. And back in 2007, there just weren't many sophisticated players out there. There were not a lot of conversations about that. Yeah, it was just, it was a mom and pop <clears throat> is a mom and pop cottage industry. Everybody was doing one or two with mm-hmm. their HELOC. It just wasn't sophisticated. Yeah. It's like, can, can we turn this into a business? And so that's what I've always been passionate about is the, is the business side of that product. So you already had rentals before you changed yep. careers. Yep. So you were working as a coach. You, were, you had mm-hmm. assets. They were cash flowing. Yeah. And yeah. so that kind of probably gave you some more freedom. Yeah, to pivot. It, it 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 did give me freedom, but it it's never easy. Mm-hmm. Like that shift, like I knew I knew that I wanted to transition from coaching full time to doing real estate full time. Mm-hmm. Like I knew there was opportunity in that, but that is not easy. Like yeah. you never you never wake up one day and think, man, today's the day I'm going to walk away from my W two, mm-hmm. right? Like you yeah. never feel that way. And so it's always it's always a leap of a leap of faith that you just have to make at some point. And I remember like how hard that was for me. And it wasn't just the security of a W two, but I genuinely loved what I did. And when the coaching aspect, the coaching part of it, and even the teaching part of it, like I taught but not, history, but like, not the bureaucracy, not the bureaucracy. Yeah, and and I just felt like. I needed to do something. I needed to do something new. I needed to build something that was mine. Mm-hmm. And I also realized during that time, I wasn't building something for me. I was building it for some 
everybody else. Yeah, and this really resonates with me. Yeah, right. Because for me, I did enjoy the engineering part. I did. Yeah, but only the engineering part. Yeah, right. But I didn't care for being told how to do my job. Yeah, right. And I also knew whether I worked twenty hours a week or eighty hours a week, the paycheck was the same. Yeah. And so for me, when people are asking me like, "Why are you quitting such a great cushy job, right, with great benefits?" It was like. I I would rather work somewhere where if I fail I make zero. Yeah. But if I win I win big. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that was that was what, what was inside me. So when you're talking about like, you know, like you're cornered in and this box is just getting a little too small, like that's kind of how I was feeling. Yeah. Most of my career uh, when I was at Intel. Yeah, but it's hard to leave, right? Like, it wasn't hard for me, only because, for myself personally, young single. Mm. No responsibilities. Mm. My only responsibility was my mortgage payment. That yeah. was the only responsibility. Yeah, that that makes it easy. Most, most people don't. Most people aren't in that situation. Right. Like I had, we just had our third. We just had our third child. It's so a lot harder when you got kids. Yeah, so. you're not making that decision just for yourself. You're making it for people who didn't sign up to be an entrepreneur yeah. and take take risks. Right? I remember when I, the the last day when I was walking out, so many of my fellow engineers were like. We're envious. We're jealous. Like we wish we could do this. Yeah. But we can't. Right. Yeah. We they've got the golden handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 sad. You know, it's mm-hmm. sad in a way because the the window the window doesn't stay open forever. Like the longer no. you stay there, especially in that field, the longer you stay, the harder it is. The yeah. harder it is to leave. Um, but I, I also you know, looking back once I realized that I wanted to do something more, that like my ambition was different, I started to resent that job. Mm-hmm. And once you begin to resent something, you're never, you're never going to be happy with it. Like right. that never, I found when you start resenting it, like there's no, there's no moving forward with yeah. it. Yeah. Well, another thing you talked about is like you didn't want to flip. You wanted to build a business. I'll flip. That's yeah. not a language that's very common back in no. 07, right? But again, this resonates with me. Like, I'm not trying to make the show about yeah. me, but like the joke I've made is I love everything about real estate except for houses and people. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I just want to own a business that's yeah. super profitable with high margins. Yeah. Real estate just happens to fit that box. Yeah. Right? So I, I love that you're saying like this was your thought process. Yeah. So you submit your notice. What is it, 07? Yeah, but it wasn't that instantaneous. Like, um, I I real I did like two jobs those last two years. Like, I realized in 2007 that I wanted to move on, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually leave until 2010. And what oh. I was doing is I was working during the day, mm-hmm. coaching and recruiting. That's a really consuming profession. And yeah. then at night, I was digging. Like, I was. I was burning the midnight oil every getting to the bottom of your reserves every night. Yeah, just because I was I needed to get this going. I needed to get enough momentum mm-hmm. to where I could I could leave without You're having the path. risk. Yeah. And it was it was tough. Like it was long exhausting hours, but I think people sometimes have to go through that unless you've got a big nest egg. Yeah. No, you've got to go through the the suffering season. Yeah. It doesn't work if you don't suffer. Yeah. 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 So you talked about recruiting. What what where, where were you coaching? 
at uh, King King University, King yeah, University. in Tennessee. Um, so we had a, a conversation some time ago. You know, the last couple of months, like Deion Sanders has been mm-hmm. all over. Yeah, right. It's the sports yeah. pages. Yeah, and someone was saying like he's a great coach and great leader and this and that. And my opinion, and mm-hmm. I'd like to get your opinion on this because you yeah. you live that world. Yeah, is I'm not discounting his ability to coach or his, his ability to lead. I'm not discounting any of that. Mm-hmm. But my argument is that he's just the best marketer, mm. right? Recruiting is getting people to raise their hands. Recruiting is, is inspiring people to want to follow you. So I'd like to get your perspective on that, on my perspective. Yeah. Um, I think re- recruiting college athletes is very similar to sales and anything else. Mm-hmm. And it's about being, about telling a story. But it's not just telling the story. It's about having a big enough vision Mm-hmm. that people want to be a part of it. And I think he's really good at that. Mm-hmm. Like he thinks he thinks big. He draws a picture of what he wants this to be, and then he tells a story, and he's, he's gotten talented talented 18-year-olds yeah. to want to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think the, 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 the being a – being a gifted storyteller like he is, mm-hmm. it's hard to separate his recruiting ability from his leadership ability. Mm-hmm. Because I, 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 what I sense is the kids that he's got there, once you recruit them, you still have to inspire them. Yeah. Right? It doesn't get easier. No. When you get... <laughs> <laughs> That's just step one. Yeah. You get, yeah. like, he's got, what, 80, 80 type A um, 20-year-old men in a locker room. Like, it doesn't get any easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that re- now it's then it becomes like recruiting them to to play off the same playbook mm-hmm. to to and so the recruiting never it never ends. So, in the recruiting component, how much is that translated into running a business? Man, it's it's there's so many overlaps with coaching and business. Um, I think coaching is a lot teaching. I've, I don't think I've ever seen a great coach who wasn't also a gifted teacher. Um, I think that's what separates the great coaches is they're, they're really good teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so... When you say teach, do you yeah. mean like teaching concepts, teaching life lessons, teaching the development of a play? Like what kind of teaching are we talking about? I think all of those, you know, some coaches are better at some of those than others, but... I think back to the best coaches that I've had. They were able to teach the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. They were able to, they were just really good teachers. And you see guys at the highest level and they just have that ability. And it's an empathy, it's a leadership, it's just this teaching ability that mm-hmm. not everybody has. Like yeah. you think about the average coaches, they, they might know their sport, but they're not great teachers. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, um, I think that that ability to teach is important for for coaching, but in business, like if you're building a business that is bigger than yourself, right? Which is what ultimately I think we want to we want to do is build something bigger than ourselves. It's probably why you wanted to leave your engineering yeah. job, right? You wanted to build something bigger than you. If you're going to do that, then you've got to teach at some point mm-hmm. and. Teaching, I see teaching as empowering other people. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And empowering them, um, trusting them to, to spread their wings. And hopefully, if you do it well, 
they end up doing it better than you. Yeah. So I, I jumped in this real estate thing with flipping houses and I learned it. I, I just dove in. I, I am not, I, I don't have skills myself. I'm not a contractor. I'm not useful with a hammer. Um, but I learned the business. I mm-hmm. learned the numbers. I learned w- what pieces you need to flip a house, the people that you need to flip a house, how the numbers, how the numbers work. Um, and I tried to create, uh, tried to create systems mm-hmm. around that so that I could build a business that didn't depend on me. Yeah. And so, um, that's been, that's been a process and we do, we do 30 houses a year now locally, just in our, in our own corporate headquarters. And they don't let me near a house. Like <laughs> I haven't seen a house since before COVID. Yeah. And if I get, if I go near one, they start throwing stuff at me because <laughs> I would just get, Shoot. I just get in the way. Just get right? out of here. But they have become better at it than me. Right. Like every facet, they are better at it than well, I am. I love what you're talking about here as far as teaching. The ability, the difference between great coaches and the, and the not so great coaches is the ability yeah. to teach. Uh, something that we've been harping on recently is we're moving away from a learning organization to a teaching organization, mm. right? Because if we're teaching the lessons, uh, there's a greater amount of responsibility and ownership from the leaders. Yeah. Right. If I'm a, if this is a learning organization, you go learn what you learn. I'll go learn what I. Mm-hmm. Maybe we do a book club, whatever. Right. Yeah. But if it's a teaching organization. Then the expectations, once I teach it to you, I'm examining, are you getting it? Right? Mm-hmm. Are you getting it? Are you committed to executing it? Yeah. Right? So there's a greater onus on, on the owners if it's a teaching organization because now the expectation is not just, here, here's the login, here's the course, here's the book, all right, get out there and go crush it. Yeah. Now yeah. it's like, this is, there's feedback here. Yeah. I, I mean, I like that. And, you know, going back to going back to coaching and – and Dion, like if he doesn't teach it well, there's, it's not just the, it's not the player's problem, right? right. It's, it's his problem. So yeah. he's, he's invested. And I do think, I do think that a lot of our learning, learning platforms today have become so transactional mm-hmm. that there isn't that long-term, that long-term relationship. Yeah. And so when we started doing uh, franchising, you know, franchising is coaching. Like I didn't realize that when I got into it, like mm-hmm. I just didn't understand. But franchising is all about, it's all about coaching. Mm-hmm. And so you have to learn how to teach at, at scale. Yeah. And. Um, well, we need to transfer all the knowledge base. Yeah. Out of your head. Man, franchising, that was, that was the hardest thing. Because when you, when with a franchise, you have to be able to explain what you know to a stranger mm-hmm. and do it efficiently and at scale. Right? That's that sounds easy. That is not easy yeah. because you don't realize how much is in your brain mm-hmm. until you try to explain it to a stranger. Yeah. Like even things like what do you what do you call like terminology? Mm-hmm. Right. So there were three of us in the office when we started franchising, and we would have terminology that was loose it was vague like we might call it one thing one day and one thing another yeah that doesn't work that doesn't yeah. work in franchising yeah, arv market value retail which one are we talking <laughs> yeah. about yeah so it forces you to like really understand your own your own knowledge mm-hmm. 
and give everything a name and the formulas have to be the same here as they are there mm -hmm. um, and then teach them. Yeah. yeah. Well, language is one of the most important tools. We don't really recognize it, but it's one of the most important tools for communicating. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and if, if, but it's work. Like it is, it is work because so much is so much that we have accumulated, especially when you're, when you become good at something, you just take so much for, you know, or you become knowledgeable or an expert on something. You, you just expect someone else to get it. Yeah. And you, you take it, you, yeah. you take it for granted. Well, I mean, before we go back to your journey, right? Like we were talking about the ability to empathize and teach. One thing that we've talked about is like, you know, why I feel qualified to be a sales trainer is because I just tell everyone because I was awful at it. Right. Mm. Like Michael Jordan tried coaching. He wasn't very effective at mm, coaching. Yeah. He couldn't teach it. Yeah. Because he couldn't empathize yeah. why they struggled. Yeah. I mean, do you do you believe in that? Like that's that's what I've said. I'm just interested in what your thoughts are on that. I think if you I think there are people that were are born teachers mm -hmm. that it comes a lot easier to them. Yeah. I think it's a very difficult thing to learn. And I think it's it can be learned, but I think it takes a lot of work. Yeah. And commitment to learn how to learn how to do do that if you're not good at it. Yeah. Um, it's just because teaching is so much about seeing the world from someone else's perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, like the that's where the that's where the empathy part of it. Yeah, empathy part of it comes. And Michael Jordan, I don't think empathy was ever his strong suit. Right? <laughs> he was not so known for most most empathetic uh, most empathetic player of the year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, empathetic player of the year. He was never won. No, never no, won, never, never won, won that one. one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another yeah. thing too. Before I sorry, I apologize. Yeah. Just keep adding these things. Like, yeah. I'm really appreciating this conversation. Yeah. The, the part about being able to download what's in your brain. Like, the, mm -hmm. there's a running joke. Uh, Matthew Potter, myself, he's a host of Pardon the Disruption. Running joke is like the first person that can figure out how to download everything in your brain yeah. to be a billionaire practically overnight. Yeah. Right. Just all that tribal knowledge, all that experience. Yeah. How to deal with this problem, that problem. Like yeah. we've seen the problems. Yeah. But we can't yeah. teach all of those yeah, things. Yeah, but if, if you like, if you picture that, like if you could do that tomorrow, you could like download all the information. Um, and it, it wouldn't be helpful. It would be like drinking from a, a fire hydrant, right? Not yeah. a fire hose, but a fire hydrant. Like yeah. if you could download everything that you know in your brain and mm -hmm. dump it on me right now, like what would I do with that, yeah. right? And so it's it's much more it's much more difficult problem to solve than that. And so the way that we've tackled it, and franchising forces you to do this. And the typical thing that franchises have done historically is they'll do a, a, an operations manual, right? And it'll be 300, 400 pages. Yeah. And then you invite your new franchise your your new franchisees in for a weekend, and you teach them everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the that's the data download. Well, it doesn't work. Right. Because um, I used to teach history, and I remember it was a six hour course. It was Western civilization, like all of Western civilization mm -hmm. in six hours, <laughs> like over the course of a year. Yeah. All right. Well, that was tough. Well, then they got the bright idea. Well, we can be more efficient. We can do this in one semester. Mm -hmm. So they jump it in one semester. Well, you can't learn that way. No. Like you, it takes time. Like things have to, have to marinate. Mm -hmm. And I think the hardest part with real estate is you learn by doing. Yeah. Right. You can't just learn from information. You really have to do it in order to learn. And so 
that's one of the challenges that we've been trying to solve. And so we've created this kind of interactive, um, interactive process for teaching where we teach, we teach from a lot of different mediums. And so some of it's written, but it's written on um, a, a, a digital platform where they get bite-sized pieces. Mm -hmm. And so we call it the flip simulator. And so we teach flipping, but I, I call it like breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. Like we give them little bits at a time, learn that, and then you move on. But it's not just words. There's also like uh, simulations where you walk through a house and you, you evaluate it. Mm -hmm. And then small group sessions and large yeah. group sessions, one-to-one -one coaching. Like it takes all of those, all of those different things, right? Mm -hmm. If you go back to coaching, like you can't teach someone to play football out of a manual, right? Like it's the team teaches them how to play, play that, to play at a high level, but you've got position coaches that do small group and you do technical, you do tactical, you do the, the film room, you practice, you play. Like all of these different inputs are required to teach someone to do something at a high level. Yeah. And that's a real, like it's a real challenge. It is. So let's go back to your story. So you decide. So you work for three years to build out reserves. Yeah. So you can so that you can yeah. go and, and do your thing. So twenty ten, yeah. you you quit. Yeah. How long from when you quit till you realize you had to franchise or you were going to start a franchise? Yeah. And and that quitting, the, the it wasn't just financial. Like when you're a coach, like that's your identity. Yeah. Like maybe I'm sure engineering was part of your identity. It was. But like people referred to me as coach. Like mm -hmm. all of my relationships was a coaching relationship. Like it was it was hard to walk away from that. Uh, just from that part of it. But when I did, we started we started uh, flipping houses. We're in, we started in a small area and we started we were up to about uh, 10, 15 um in our in our town. And then um, ten or fifteen ongoing 10, flips, or ten or rentals? fifteen flips. Yeah, okay. yeah. We just started flipping. Like we've accumulated some rentals along the way, but mm -hmm. for the most part, we're we've we've been flipping through these years. Mm -hmm. And so um, I brought in somebody year one um, to help me, and he became my right hand person. He's fantastic. He's been with me. Uh, Sam Ferguson has been with me from the the very beginning and he's still with me and and driving so driving before the franchise, franchise Sam was with you yeah yeah so this was like 2011 mm -hmm. so I took a I took a when I <laughs> sorry to go back to this transition but I think people I think those of us on the other side of that like when we've gone full full time with something that we're passionate about mm -hmm. and we have the we have the privilege to do something that we're good at full time I think we take for granted like how hard it is to make steps like to get there you know mm -hmm. like going back to that time those first steps toward yeah. that like um but they're hard man like emotionally risk financially all of that and so i remember i came i, I set up a home office and we just had our third child and it was an open open floor plan Right, it's all the that everybody's building an open floor plan in 2008 or whatever, and that's what we had. And so I set up my office right there in the middle of the house, and it was <laughs> it was January. Things went all right, and then spring break came, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to do deals, and 
three kids running through the house yeah. <laughs> with no walls. <laughs> like I, I learned to appreciate walls mm-hmm. um, uh, that, that summer. I was like, I can't do this from home. Like I'm not yeah. wired this way. So we, we bought an old uh, roofing shop that was about 300 square feet plus a garage. And I renovated that roofing shop and it was just big enough to put four desks in there. Mm-hmm. But I was the only one, but I put four desks in there knowing that my goal was to fill to fill that little roofing shop mm-hmm. up because I wanted it to be bigger than me. And so Sam Sam came, he tr- he trusted the vision um and um he was one and we we filled that up. Yeah. And then we began expanding to um towns about 30 45 minutes away. And when we did that, it forced us to to really tighten up our systems and our processes really process-based. We try to turn a flip into a math problem. and um, But there's people involved, so it's not always just a math problem, right? right? Um, but we started, doing, we started doing flips in neighboring areas. Well, what that changed is now you can't be on site for those flips, mm-hmm. right? So now your terminology <clears throat> has to be better. Mm-hmm. You have to, now you really have to empower the contractors. Mm-hmm because you can't be there to manage them. Right. And so we, that experience forced us to tighten that up. And so even though they were only 45 minutes away, it forced us to, to make our systems and our processes better. Well, we, right. kept, we kept building that out. It eventually became software. And so that, those systems and processes really became too big for what we were doing locally, mm-hmm. and franchising just made sense. And so in 2015, we started <clears throat> that journey on franchising. So you quit in 2010, and then you franchise in 2015. We started we started thinking about franchising <clears throat> in t- 2015. So you had we had to build that out. Mm-hmm. So there's the legal, there's turn and, and again. Well, so I want to get into that yeah, later on. Yeah. So before we do that, so <clears throat> you decided to go mm-hmm. when you quit. Mm-hmm. How many flips were you doing at that time? Oh gosh, uh, I was probably doing um, maybe three. Four a year. Okay, so you went from three or four to fifteen ongoing. Yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah. we talked about the challenges being at home, open concept. Yeah. I mean, I can speak for myself. My first, my some of my challenges was I was completely directionless. Mm-hmm. Right, because like when you got a job, you know where you're supposed to be. Yeah. When you're supposed to be there, what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. While you're there. Mm-hmm. Once I was on my own. I was just kind of like I was doing things. Yep. But were they income producing? Yeah. Were they the right activities? Yeah. You know, am I talking to the right people? Right. There's all these things, challenges mm-hmm. I had. So, what were some of the biggest obstacles besides <laughs> an open floor plan? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. I think what you're talking about is is structure, really, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like when you've got a job, there you have structure imposed on you. Right. And it's something that a lot of us like push. Push we rebel back against, against it. right? Yeah. But it's important, like, because when you go, when you're sitting alone, <laughs> sitting alone in a or in a remodeled roofing shop, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you have to you have to start managing your time, mm-hmm. and that's not easy, because you and, and you're at the beginning of a business, you don't really know what's important, so you're making that up, mm-hmm. you're making that up as you go trying to manage your own time and we tend to do things that we want to do mm-hmm. rather than what we need to do yeah 
And I think one of the, the biggest villains for entrepreneurs is the urgent. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that situation, like everything's urgent. And when you're doing the, the urgent will consume the important. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And if you don't, and, but you, it's hard to know that when, you, when you're getting started with yeah. something. Like so much of this I've learned over time. And I think, I think we're really, I think we're really bad at managing our time, like all of us. And one of your recent guests, um, uh, I think it was, I think it may have been Trevor, mm-hmm. um, talked about that he wasn't disciplined. Mm-hmm. And he said he imposed, like he imposed a structure on, him, on himself mm-hmm. and he didn't take any meetings before 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I started doing that a few years ago. Yeah. But it, it's structure, right? And mm-hmm. you don't have that when you're starting out. And right. Makes it, it it makes it tough. For sure. Yeah. What are some other like big challenges, things you'd not expect at that time? I would say loneliness. <clears throat> like you're making big decisions mm-hmm. and like there's no one <laughs> there's no one to talk to. That was before online communities were, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a really viable viable thing. And so you're making these big decisions. There's a lot of pressure. A lot of money on the line. And it's lonely out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you're you don't have friends who are going through this, right? Like it's, someone to share your, your your sob stories with. Yeah, yeah. But then it's also like in in flipping in particular, like there you, you need to and and this is really this has influenced the way we've created the the franchise is you um, you have to do enough volume to create competitive advantages Mm -hmm. but you can't you're limited on your volume because of your capacity right your systems are limited your capital is limited your what we call a a construction ecosystem is Mm -hmm. limited yeah your everything is limited but you've got to establish enough volume to where you can create some competitive advantages because it's competitive out there right super competitive Yeah. Uh, so I, I would imagine the same is true with wholesaling. Oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. No, yeah. You got to create your competitive advantages. Uh, so you said you wanted to create a business that flipped houses. You didn't yeah. want to flip houses. Yeah. What kinds of questions were you asking yourself with that mindset? Because not everyone starts a career with that mindset, mm-hmm. right? Everyone starts off like, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, I actually don't want to do this. Yeah. I want to do this. Yeah. Right. So you went in there intentionally with, I want to build a business that flips houses. What kinds of questions were you asking yourself to go in that direction? Well, a, a couple of things. I, th- I think the the easy part for me is I didn't have the skills. Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of people in that situation would be tempted to grab the hammer mm-hmm. and jump in there and and get in the in the business. That wasn't an option for me because I wasn't I wasn't skilled. So I mm-hmm. had to build a business if I was going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things I could have done uh, outside of real estate. But I was pretty strategic on picking real estate because um, I think the product is important. If you're going to build a business, the product is important. And I see a lot of talented people, like talented salespeople that pick the wrong product. Like they pick a low margin product Mm -hmm. that sets them up for failure. Like why would you do that? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And so – but I think the same that that has always attracted me to real estate, and it goes. I think it goes back to seeing my parents. 
in the small businesses that they had. Like they had a t-shirt shop and a popcorn shop and ice cream and shoes. And I just saw them work so hard and they were so talented. Mm -hmm. But the product, like it's tough, man. Like those are tough products. The margin just isn't there, especially in a, in a smaller town like we were. So I saw them like work so hard for every dollar. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't want, I didn't <clears throat> want to do it that way. And real estate is unique. And you know, you, everybody knows that most of the millionaires that you come in contact with, they probably made it through real estate. Yeah. Well, why? Because you can leverage real estate, mm-hmm. right? I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have money, but, if, if I'd tried to do this with shoes, no one would have loaned money against <laughs> shoe inventory, yeah. right? But real estate's different. It's unique, it's unique that way. You know, it's, um, there, was a, there was an ice cream shop in downtown Chandler, uh, not that far from here, Sammy's. We loved it. Yeah. Right? And one day it just shuts down. And I remember when I was there. Yeah. It's like there's no way yeah. this place stays in business. Yeah. There's just no way. Yeah. Right. I'm paying three, four dollars for ice cream sandwiches. Yep. For me and my wife and my three girls, not a lot of revenue. And then they're teenagers, so they operate with the efficiency of teenagers. Yeah. Because right? it's not a franchise. Yeah. So they operate with the efficiency of teenagers. So like it's taking like 10, 15 minutes yeah. to get twenty dollars from me. Yeah. And I'm just looking around, all these expenses, and like there's no way this stays in business. So I remember when it went out of business, the uh, one of my daughter's teachers was like sad and, you know, she liked it as well. So I had to sit down with my daughter. like, why do you think we went out of business? She's like, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't that popular. It's like, okay, so let's mm. remember when we were there. Yeah. Remember how long it took. Yeah. How much revenue mm-hmm. they're generating. How much do you think those teenagers are making? How much do you think the lease is on yeah. a space like this? Yeah. Let's talk about the utilities. Yeah. Right. So yeah, to your point, like, why would you sell a low margin product? You're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. And low margin products usually have to come with high volume. Must come with well, high volume. That's more people. Yeah. And <laughs> the more people, the, more the harder it, the harder it is, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. 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 Um, so in five years, so when you had conversations and thoughts about starting the mm-hmm. franchise, you said in twenty fifteen, it was at that point you were flipping fifteen houses at a time. Yeah, it was a, it was about that. It was between fifteen and twenty. Okay. Yeah. So what was the question you were asking yourself where the answer was, I need to franchise this? I think we we had, I felt like we had built such robust systems mm-hmm. and processes and they were really, like they were really good, mm-hmm. but they were built on spreadsheets, like really intricate spreadsheets, um, but they were good. And, and we, we, we were getting pretty good. We were getting pretty good at this. And... Um, but the system, it's almost like we'd built this foundation that was bigger than our market. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I didn't feel comfortable scaling our business much further in our small market just because of the risk, mm-hmm. just because of the risk of having so much, so many houses in one, in one market. But then we had this asset of all these processes. And so it just, it, um, Mark Pate came to me and he said, man, I think you need to, I think you need to franchise this. Mm-hmm. And who's Mark? So Mark has headed up our capital fund. Mm-hmm. And so that's a that's an important piece of this. And so we've created a a capital fund that helps our our franchise owners 
on on the capital side so that mm-hmm. they can scale their business. So he's the one that came up with that uh, with that idea, and I fought it for probably a year, and then we finally started uh, started the process with mm-hmm. with franchising. And and that like people go into franchising thinking they're going to take the business that they do, and then it's just going to be an extension of that. Mm-hmm. What they don't understand is that being a franchisor is a completely different business. Yeah. In what way? So like the the new again houses local, the the development side of it, the the part that's flipping houses was it had it it, it was good at what it did. It was good at flipping houses. But to be a franchisor, it's not flipping more houses. Mm-hmm. It's becoming a completely different role. Mm-hmm. So now you become a teacher, mm-hmm. you become a coach, you become all of these things that as a friend, it has nothing to do with what you were good at mm-hmm. flipping houses. And so fortunately, they didn't need me to flip houses. So Sam, Sam is really like, Sam's really good. He's better at it than me. Annie mm-hmm. came in, she, she's became better at it than me. And so they had, they were able to continue that business and because I hadn't put myself in the middle of it and made myself expendable, then it allowed me to really throw myself into building the franchise. Yeah. And so they continued that. They continued the work of, and then I just really went all in on building the franchise. Which is really what you love to do anyway, coaching. It is. Yeah. Like I didn't love flipping houses, but yeah. I do love coaching. Yeah. And so like, and that's not myself as well, right? Like someone's asking me an event the other day. They're like, why do you coach, right? Because everyone, I think the perception is that you coach for money. And I'm not saying the money is bad. Yeah. Right? I'm not yeah. complaining about the money. Yeah. But I coach because I love teaching. Yeah. I love serving. I love watching people take a concept. You see the light bulb go off. You see them go make this change. You can see the changes that's occurring in their lives. Yeah. It's so fulfilling and rewarding. Um. So I want to ask mm-hmm. another question here. You decided to franchise. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of peers that also own franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I've seen that model, I was like, man, that's brilliant. I've been an idiot for doing coaching versus franchising all mm-hmm. these years. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, were there conversations between franchising versus coaching? Yeah, I I am not a... Uh, I, I, It's a good, that's a good question. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think back to that. And I think we looked at different options for, for that space, for flipping houses. If we were just transferring knowledge, um, then coaching would have been an option. Mm -hmm. And at, at that time, there were, there were several gurus Mm -hmm. that were out trying to teach flipping. And part of what we were doing is kind of a reaction against them. Like we didn't want to be, cause it wasn't quality and we didn't want to just be, we didn't want to do that. And so mm-hmm. we wanted to go all in on, on franchising and, and do it, do it by the book, um, be able to have, have royalties. And, you know, looking back, I think probably could have made a similar influence by, by coaching. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I have the personality. I don't know that I have like the skills that you have to promote myself as a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because that's a skill set, right? And and I think we have to understand and 
there's so many it's actually a good question because there's so many different ways that you can make money in real estate it's nearly yeah. unlimited like you're talking about making however many million millionaires well there's a lot of different ways yeah to to become a millionaire in this space mm-hmm. And getting good at sales is probably the key to almost all of them. Like you need, that's that's a common denominator. But if you have those skills, if you have those sales skills, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I think, I think it's really important to understand what you're good at, you know, like what Mm -hmm. your skill set at, what your skill set is. If you're good at some things, you're probably not good at others. Right. And so what makes you a good coach and have been able to create this platform and this audience, I don't think I have those skills. And so for me, I had to do it from a franchise perspective because I don't put myself out in front of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't have, I, so I can do it from the, I can, I can create these processes. I can coach um, almost from, from the background, right. which, which fits, it, it just fits my, my skill set. That's actually my persona as well. Yeah. Um, but I had a mentor, right, Darren Hardy. Yeah. Um, and um, asked him this question specifically, hmm. right? We were at his event, two and a half day boot camp. And he was like, you've got to be the face of the company. Yeah. got to be, like the company needs a face. Company needs a face. Yeah. And if it's not you, it's got to be somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't know who else I would want to put as a face. Yeah. But I don't want to be the face. Yeah. So I asked him like, hey, you know, like, I don't want to be the face, like, you know, but I don't have anyone else. I think I should be, should be yeah. the face. Like, what do you think? And basically his answer was too bad. Ah, right. If you want your business to be successful, yeah, either you need to be the face, or you need to pick someone else. And if you can't think of anybody yeah. else, yeah, it's you. Yeah, yeah. So how long did it take you to work through that? Um, not too long. Only because once I know the path to victory, uh, I I can quickly adjust yeah. my, my my direction. In fact, my downside probably is not the ability to change direction. My downside is probably I change directions too often. Mm. Right. Yeah. The ability to take something to its eventual end is probably my greatest weakness. Mm. That's why I have so many people around me mm. because they're all great. Yeah. At finishing. Yeah. These ideas in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So you decide to franchise. What was talk to me about franchising? Let's just say. Yeah. I decide I'm going to start mm-hmm. a real estate disruptors franchise. Mm-hmm. What's involved? creating a franchise yeah so i've i've been absorbed in the franchise industry now for for several years and um i've I've learned so much from the franchising world because it's much more it's just a much more mature business Mm -hmm. than like anything like the the real estate business that we're in yeah because like we said like in 2007 this is a mom and pop industry there's Mm -hmm. nobody sophisticated in real estate investing Carlton Sheets and a few others maybe yeah. back then that were out there. And but franchising, like that's a really mature business. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of history and data and expertise, generational knowledge in in franchising. Mm-hmm. And so being able to be around that and, and tap into that has been has been really has been really useful. But I think everybody in, in, Everyone underestimates all that has to go into right. to a franchise, and so it starts with it starts with the legal because it is it is very regulated. Mm-hmm. And coming from the real estate industry, which is not that <laughs> like 
it's, the wild west. <laughs> yeah. So you, we take that for granted in real estate, though, right? Mm -hmm. Like in, in franchising, it's not like that. Like mm -hmm. you have to have your um, franchise disclosure document. You have to. Um, there's just so, so every state has has different things, and so you've got to manage all of that. Mm -hmm. And then there's franchise attorneys that are really good at that. And then the way you sell a franchise is regulated. So yeah. there's certain things like there's a lot of certain things that I can't say mm -hmm. um, because it would it would cross that line. And right. so um, there there's there's the whole legal part that takes quite a bit of quite a bit of time to work through. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's like any other business, but like that you're, you're creating those documents when you don't really know what they should be. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of ways to get that wrong mm -hmm. in the beginning. And so there's the legal part, but then there's the things that you take for granted, like the things we talked about before, like the things that are in your head that you think are common sense <laughs> they're not common not sense, enough. right? And so you've got to name them, and then you've got to create a, a platform for people to learn it. But then there's also just the the responsibility. And I know you feel this with coaching as well. Like yeah. People invest in the coaching program. You take ownership in that. You feel responsible. And so we feel such responsibility for this, for this franchise community mm -hmm. that, that we have. And so you're constantly trying to invest in the system and making it better. And so there's a lot that everybody that starts a franchise underestimates the time that it takes and the and the money that it takes mm -hmm. to build it out. Yeah. Because you think it's just an extension of the business you're doing. Right. It is a completely different business. Well, this is like um you know, the e-myth, right? Where she yeah. talks about like, well, I love baking pies, so I'm going to start pie store. Yeah. I'm going to start a bakery. Yeah. Right? It should be easy. The yeah. skills should just translate. Yeah. Yeah. And then she becomes a franchisor and she's not making pies at all. Right. <laughs> exactly. So when you were selling, yeah. you're no longer selling that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, can you say roughly, again, if I were to start a franchise, uh -huh. my understanding, the limited research I've done, yeah, right, it's like 30 to 50K to get it even just approved by the federal government. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's not even like before selling it or, yeah. or getting the financing or the, um, I, yeah, I guess yeah. it's just, just money wise. Like before we even try to sell anything or even talk yeah. about, Hey, I'm doing this. Yeah. That might get you, that might get you the document that mm -hmm. you can file at the federal level. Right. Um, it's probably not the right document. <laughs> it takes a lot of, it takes several versions to get it right. There's just so many ways you can make a, make a mistake and a mm -hmm. franchise agreement is a it's a 10 year it's a 10 year agreement mm -hmm. so that first franchise agreement that you make like that's binding for 10 years yeah so um that part of it that part of it's 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 difficult mm -hmm. but then there's just the the systems and you're right like the sales process is is not inexpensive because your salespeople have to understand franchise law right um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. And mm -hmm. like, I think, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of the bureaucracy that we probably ran away with to start yeah. with. <laughs> but this bureaucracy we have to put up with. You can't yeah. get around this one. Yeah. 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 But so, it's also, it's also really rewarding and, you know, it, it it's, it's been so much like coaching, like 
there's just so many transferables between uh, between the, the coaching a sport and a, a franchise. It's a community. Um, you're really invested in one another's success. Mm-hmm. Like we chose to have protected territories, which is not usually the case in real estate franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, you, the typical model is you would sell as many as you could in Atlanta or Nashville. Mm-hmm. We wanted to have protected territory. So our, our territories are usually 500,000 people. And we did that because we didn't want our franchise owners competing against one another. Mm-hmm. We wanted to build a community where their interests were aligned. Yeah. Um, and so um, that part of it has probably been one of the more rewarding parts is every time you bring in a new franchise owner, they bring, they bring something with them. Like they bring an expertise from a different career, and they make the system better. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about the first franchise you sold. So 2015, you have a conversation. 2016 is legal. Tell me about the first one that signed up. Yeah. So we did a pilot. And so we had, um, we had a a guy, a a recent graduate, uh, Eric Wilkening, who interned in our office during school. And then he started working for us. And so he really learned the business. Mm -hmm. We thought, let's set him up in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, um, let's trial this. Like by him doing it, we'll learn where the weaknesses are. And so we did that. We did that for about a year mm-hmm. and we learned a lot. He gave great feedback. He helped us with, he helped build a lot of the processes. And so that really helped. And then the next year is when we launched. And mm-hmm. so that's when I think we had four, him plus four other people mm-hmm. uh, that, that came in that year. And that year we, we did the whole manual and a weekend in the office drinking from a fire hose, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> um, and so we uh, quickly pivoted to a different approach, and that's when we started building out the um, building out the the training the training part of it. Yeah. So you know, if I'm a prospect, mm-hmm. well, I guess before we can do that, yeah. Uh, how do you find people that are interested in buying a franchise? Yeah. So the persona. You know, one of the things with one of the things that I've learned in marketing is that you really need to have a persona. Like, who who is your target? Who is your target for this? And that that's tough in franchising too, because you really don't know mm-hmm. in the beginning. And we were surprised. <laughs> yeah. Like our our assumptions were realities <laughs> different than we assumed. Imagine that. Um, what did you think it was going to be? We thought it was going to be really analytical people mm-hmm. that would do it part-time mm-hmm. and as, as they transitioned out of a job. Mm-hmm. And what we found is the analytic the analytics wasn't as important as the sales. Mm-hmm. And so um, so it was um, you can teach you can teach the math. Mm-hmm. Right, like the software is really good at that. Yeah. Like you can put, you you can put guardrails uh, for people. You don't have to teach them math. You just have to make it so they can't screw it up. Yeah, yeah. Which is where the software comes in. Yeah. It's, it's not easy, but that's yeah. where it comes in. But but it's the um, it's the relational skills, the um, um, the 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 sales skills. Mm-hmm. We we recently we've just now had enough. Uh, of a history because it's still a young system. Like we're our, that group, that first group that came in, I think they're in their fourth, third or fourth year. 
Um, and so we've just now had enough history to be able to go back and say, what are the characteristics of our, of our high, high performers? Mm-hmm. And we used franchise tools for that because Franchise World has those tools. Like that's the sort of thing we don't have in the real estate world. Yeah. You know, we can guess, but the franchise world's much more mature and they can go in and they can say, what is, let's build a profile of what are the skill sets of a, of a franchise owner in this particular business. Mm-hmm. So we had enough history to do that and we've just recently We've recently done it, and it was really, really interesting. Like, what are the characteristics of our highest performers? And um, so, one of them, one of them is self management, mm-hmm. which you talked about before. You're an entrepreneur. You're yeah. on your own. Like, how are you going to manage your? How are you going to manage your time? You don't have a manager telling you how to spend your time. Right. So. Self, self-management was, was one. There were three things that were really, really stark. Self-management, relationship management. Like how do you manage relationships? Like how do you manage conflict? Because flipping a house is a dirty, like you get your hands dirty, yeah. right? Like you've got contractors, there's plenty of opportunities for conflict, but it's also an opportunity, right? It's mm-hmm. an opportunity to bring people around a common vision. Yeah. Um, how, you, how you do that, like your uh, diplomacy, your diplomacy skills, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how, you, how you manage those relationships. Um, that was, that was a, real, um, a real indicator. Yeah. The third one, self-awareness. Um, and... That one was really that one was really interesting to me, because I hadn't thought about it, but now like that's obvious. Yeah, it makes sense when you hear it. Like yeah, but self awareness the the that characteristic really separated the highest performers, mm-hmm. and it was you know thinking back to some of your your recent guests was it um, Sean Terry Sean Terry yeah Sean Terry. Um, talked about the times that he wanted to give up. Right. And he talked about that first house and having to go back to the car, mm-hmm. you know, and like, yeah. is this for me? But what he described was this process, this ability to be self-aware. Mm-hmm. He sat in that car and he didn't blame someone else. He held his hand up. And he said, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. like that moment separates. I think that moment, that ability to understand yourself and understand your role in it, and it 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 often separates successful people. Probably not just in our businesses, but mm-hmm. probably in any business. And so then I thought back to uh, the coaching days, you know, and coaching teams. It's like, well, what made what made the best soccer players. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't the most athletic players. Like that was never an indicator of success. That's a bonus. Yeah. It's nice to have. <laughs> it's not an indicator of success. What was an indicator of success is did he have the ability that when he made a mistake that he would raise his hand and say, that was my fault. Mm-hmm. Because if a kid, like if an 18-year-old kid has that kind of self-awareness 
to raise his hand and say, my bad, mm-hmm. then that means they're coachable, yeah. right? Right. They understand, they understand that a <clears throat> blind spot was exposed. And if they can understand, if they can have that level of self-awareness, which is really rare in mm-hmm. 18-year-old boys, <laughs> um, if, but if they can have that level of self-awareness to, to raise their hand and say, I was wrong, then they're coachable mm-hmm. and we can fix it. Well, it's no different with franchise owners or okay. with you or me, right? Like mm-hmm. that abil- that 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 quality of having self-awareness is um, is so important, and it's almost like the key to solving the other two problems, mm-hmm. which is self-management mm-hmm. and relationship management, yeah. right? Well. I was listening to a podcast recently. I was scrolling TikTok, and I saw these great shorts. Yeah. Right? And it was basically, it was uh, uh, Tom Bilyeu, Impact Theory, interviewing a CIA spy. It was interesting about the CIA spy's opinion mm. when he was asked, like, what is your number one, what is the number one secret skill like every CIA, successful CIA agent has? Mm. And the answer he gave was, like, not what I expected at all. Hmm. It was the ability to have perspective. Yeah. Right? The ability to get outside of your head. Yeah. And see it from the other person's perspective, but also from a third person perspective. If you can see this from a third person yeah. perspective who's not there, right? But yeah. what they can see, what maybe the reality of the situation, right? What a third party observer might see. Yeah. What the other person can see. Yeah. Then you then at that point have the most valuable skill, apparently, according to him. Uh, mm. Of a CIA agent, well, you mm. go that uh, you say uh, relationship. I look at conflict resolution. Yeah, right. Yep. Conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. You look at self awareness and self management. Yeah. I mean, I would argue if you have those, if you're doing those three things well, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Yeah. What industry? What role? <laughs> you will be successful. It, it, right. No matter where you yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. It's not unique to to franchise, but I think some of those skills, some of those skills, it's easier like. Self-awareness, I think some people are, it's easier for some people than others. Mm-hmm. But I do think a lot of that can be taught. Yes, absolutely can be taught. And, and, but, but it does require structure. Mm-hmm. And if you, it also requires self-awareness. Yeah. Like, that, you know, like the ability to hold your hand up and mm-hmm. say, I'm not good at this. Um, but, if you, but I think they can be, they can be taught in like, for example, that um, self-management. Um, I thought um, uh, Trevor. I thought Trevor did a really, uh, he did a great job of describing that blind spot that he mm-hmm. had and and how he did it, and just managing your time as an entrepreneur is so important, and it, and it involves it involves imposing structure mm-hmm. on yourself. Yeah. And I think to those of us who are entrepreneurial minded, that seems like something that's that we fight. You know, we fight it, but it's easier when we set the structure. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. When Matt comes in, it's like Steve. Here's your structure moving forward. Yeah. Like, Whoa, what are we yeah. talking about here? But but if you self-imposing structure yeah. to put you were saying earlier guardrails. Yeah. Around yourself. Yeah. That's a different story. Yeah. And I want to touch on something else too because you know we're talking a lot about coaching here, right? Mm-hmm. 
I'm passionate about, about yeah. coaching. Uh, one of the things I've said is that the greatest value in coaching is not what I have to say. Mm. That's not the greatest value. Yeah. Right. My life experience is not the greatest value in the coaching. Yeah. The greatest value in the coaching is every week for 30 minutes, you and I have a conversation. Yeah. And we sit down and you have to stop what you're doing and you have to introspect because mm. I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. Yeah. What have you done well in the last week? Yeah. Right. Because then it might be an opportunity. How can we do that more often? Yeah. What didn't go so well last week? Yeah. We might have an opportunity to stop <laughs> some mm -hmm. things from happening again. Right. But you're, my demand upon you, right? Because what coaching is, my demand upon you is to stop everything you're doing and for 30 minutes, just think about you and your business. Requ it demands self awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and allocate time for it. Yeah. And, the if if you didn't commit to that coaching, you wouldn't spend the time on it. Right. Right. There would be something. There would always be something. It's always something talking at you. More urgent. Mm -hmm. And the urgent will come in, and it will it will steal everything from the important. Like it yeah. will consume everything, especially especially when you're an entrepreneur and you're building stuff. Mm -hmm. There's always urgent stuff. If you don't protect, if you don't protect the important. Like you don't have a chance of, you don't have no one else is going to protect the important. No. Like no one, no one else is going to protect Steve's, what's important to you. Like right. they're going to consume it with, because it's urgent to them, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's important to them. It's it's yeah. the world to them at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where that structure comes in, and like the coaching, the weekly coaching call, it's it, it allocates time, to the important, and I think. As entrepreneurs, we're really good at allocating dollars. Mm -hmm. Like we're good at building a budget. We're terrible at allocating time. Yeah. And I've I've really come to understand this in the past few years is there's always new ways you can make money. Yeah. Right? Like Yeah. But you can't make time. Like it's finite. Mhm. Mm and if your quality of life is 50 hours of work a week, like that's 50 hours. And if you give one of them away, now you've only got 49, right? Mm -hmm. The only way to increase that is to steal time from your kids. It is. And, but we're not good at that. Like, mm -hmm. But I think that's where, the, for me, that's where the structure has come. And that's what I heard from Trevor too. You know, he said, before 11 o'clock, that's my time. I'm going to allocate that time to the important. And my calendar is the same way. Like every day up until 11 o'clock, it's blocked off and it's called the important. Mm -hmm. And then every hour after that is, 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 is organized. It's structured, but it's like a budget. I have, I draw my line at about 45 hours a week. And so every one of those hours is important. And mm -hmm. so I sat down and I budgeted every one. And, and that's been, that's been life changing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So. Going back to how you're finding additional franchise owners, right? Because mm -hmm. you're 47. Yep. I mean, everything is at the end of the day is a mm -hmm. sales marketing business. Yep. So I'm wondering from the franchise world, yeah, how do you market to find potential franchisees? Yeah. So we're bringing in uh, one to two new uh, franchisees a month, and and we intentionally call them franchise owners rather than franchisees. And franchisees is the term used in the industry, but we don't want we don't want them to be passive. And I feel like a franchisee is a, 
passive word. Mm-hmm. And one of our core values is ownership. Yeah. And so we use the term franchise, franchise owner. And so our job, we see our job is to empower them mm-hmm. um, and create competitive advantages for them in, in uh, lead flow, in analysis, capital, building the construction. But it's to empower them. So we use the, we, we use the word franchise owner. So we've, um, it's a, it's marketing. It's it's a very competitive space um, in in franchising, and so. But we've been very narrow, and we don't throw our whole philosophy. This is true on the the, the real estate side too. Is we don't throw just money at the problem. We really try to use a scalpel, and we want to make every marketing dollar go as far as it can. Mm-hmm. And so, in franchising, it's 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 better understanding. Um, our prospects and finding that our target prospect is someone who wants to do six to 12 um, flips a year. Mm-hmm. And we find that to be, we find that to be a, uh, a sweet spot because there's financial opportunity there, mm-hmm. but there's also, you can have a quality of life. Yeah. Once you go beyond one a month, it starts. You start to either have to take on overhead and hire mm-hmm. people, or you start giving up quality of life. Yeah. And so that's our that's our prospect, and it's typically someone who's not doesn't have construction skills. It's somebody like me that wants to build a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finding those people, we 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 use um, Google Google Ads um, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the franchise world uses brokers. Who are almost like agents. We mm-hmm. don't we don't use brokers, um, and so uh, because we don't want to, we don't want to grow too fast either. Yeah, um, we really want to. We we there's just a lot of different ways to build a franchise. Sure. Um, um, and and we found we found that quality in franchising that quality is much more important than quantity. Yeah. Uh, Same is true in flipping too. Oh, right? absolutely like, true. Yeah. <laughs> we could do do a hundred flips next year, but <laughs> probably wouldn't be a hundred good flips. Quality won't be consistent. <laughs> yes. So uh why why should I franchise with new again houses? Yeah. Right. There's yeah. There's plenty of options, mm-hmm. right? I think we buy ugly yep. is the is the gorilla. Yep. Is that accurate? Yeah, they were the first. Yeah. yeah. When we came when we started, I think we were the second. Mm-hmm. And they were they were the only other ones in the space. But yeah, yeah. they're big. So why should I franchise with new again houses? Yeah. So um, we are. So when you think about flipping a house, mm-hmm. um, you are you are have to add value in a you or you have the opportunity to add value in a lot of different um, places along the way, and so wholesalers, for example go really deep in adding value at the acquisition. Mm -hmm. So they have to be really, really, you guys have to be really, really good at negotiating and lead generation at Mm -hmm. the, at the acquisition. Right. Yeah. But to create enough margin in that one value add spot, you have to be really, really good at that. Mm -hmm. Flipping is different because what we're trying to do is create enough volume so that they can have a competitive advantage. And so in order to be good at any of these things, 
you need to do multiple houses a year, okay? Mm -hmm. So the value add is lead generation. So we need to get upstream and get uh, directly to that directly to that seller. We can add value there. Mm -hmm. But that requires a competitive advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Then once you get the lead, you have to analyze it and you have to analyze it quickly. Because you wholesalers are fast, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we have to analyze that lead quickly, but we also have to analyze it accurately. Yeah. It's a really small window. So if you get the lead generation right, but you don't have the tools and the sophistication to analyze those deals fast, flipping doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So you got to have so, but it's another opportunity to add value to the deal. Mm -hmm. So we're so there's the lead generation, there's the analysis. Once you have those two pieces, the next place that you can add value is with the financing. It's capital, like it's capital intensive. Mm -hmm. So if we have a location that wants to do 12 a year, that means they need to have seven in inventory. And over half of those are in construction at any one point. Mm -hmm. So that's capital intensive. So we have to provide the capital um, to overcome those constraints to reach a goal like that, mm -hmm. right? So that's, but it's another opportunity to add value. So now you've got the lead generation, you got the analysis, you got the capital. But then once all those things are done, now we have to actually add value to the house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and that's that we, I think this is one thing that's different with us than some of the other franchises is we really embrace adding value with construction. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's, um, that is seen by some as, the most important, uh, the most difficult part. Like, why would you get your hands dirty with that when mm -hmm. you can wholesale? But I was also around in 2007, and in my opinion, to survive through all of the market cycles, you need to have the capacity to add value in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I've always believed that if we can add real value to the house. We can we can weather through we, we can prosper because mm -hmm. we we have locally we've gone through all of the cycles now. If you can't add value to the house, there are cycles that are really really difficult unless yeah. you are really good at one of those things. Yeah. But to survive a tough cycle and only have one place in that value chain mm -hmm. that makes it tough. So when we think about flipping. We're thinking about doing six to 12 deals a year. What does that entrepreneur need? That what, what do they need? What competitive advantages can we provide at every one of those places on the, on the value chain? Mm -hmm. And that's our job as a franchisor. And so we're adding value on the lead gen side. We're trying to add value on the analysis side with the software, the capital piece, mm -hmm. and then the, the construction the construction execution piece. So it's a lot. It is a lot. So then um, you guys offer support in, in the financing side? Yeah. Uh, so if I'm a franchise mm -hmm. owner mm -hmm. and I say, hey, Matt, I got this property, you guys offer some sort of uh, financing options. Yeah. So it is, it's technically outside the franchise. Mm -hmm. And so it is not a part of the franchise mm -hmm. offering, but we have created an, an equity. We've We've created a fund, mm -hmm. and it's in excess of $20 million now. And mm -hmm. I, I mentioned Mark Pate earlier. 
the one who really encouraged us to do uh, franchising is also the one who's built this who's built this fund. Um, he's an engineer, and so he's very analytical. Yeah. And so he's always valued our analytical approach to sure. flipping houses, and valued our numbers. And so that fund only invests in new again projects. And so, because the capital, the capital limitation is what keeps people only doing one or two a year. Mm-hmm. But if you're only doing one or two a year, you can't create any competitive advantage. Like, how are you going to compete with the wholesalers mm-hmm. if you're only doing one or two a year? You have to buy them from the wholesalers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and then the analysis, like you don't do enough to be able to analyze it well, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then the the execution if you're only doing one or two a year you can't keep contractors mm-hmm. loyal to you like you don't control any <laughs> no, of the contractors can't. right yeah now that that becomes untenable mm-hmm. and so in a lot of ways the construction of our business drives the um, quantity of everything else mm-hmm. because at the end of the day that contractor who's swinging a hammer in the house he is adding value he's he's the one adding value Mm-hmm. Well, we have to create enough volume to set him up for success. Yeah. And so that's why we feel like six to 12 a year is a, a real sweet spot. So you can have that, that construction ecosystem. Well, what keeps people, a lot of people from reaching that is the capital piece. And yeah. so we knew we had to solve that piece in order to build the competitive advantages. Right. And it makes sense. If, if someone in your, ecosystem is underwriting it the way you're underwriting it yeah and they have the processes and procedures for flipping based off your model yeah you're a lot more confident yeah and getting those deals funded yeah so that's important because it goes back to the speed right like it's a short window you get a seller i mean i'm preaching to the choir here <laughs> like you get that call like you gotta you gotta, you gotta analyze it mm-hmm. and um it better be it better be accurate. You got to yeah. do it fast. Well, underwrite it while I'm on the. Someone in the office has to underwrite it while I'm on the way to the appointment. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, and then you can't, you can't do that. And then maybe, well, maybe I'll get it funded. Like mm-hmm. maybe the money will be there, but that'll be thirty days from now to where yeah. I really know. Like it doesn't work that way. And that confidence will come across. Yeah. At the appointment, if you don't yeah. have confidence in the financial yeah. backing. But that's that's where the software has become so important. And it is cost, like anybody that's built software knows how expensive it is. Like, <laughs> Outrageous. Way more expensive, <laughs> like exponentially more expensive than you think it's going to be. So most things are like 10 times harder. I would say whatever software, at least 100x, whatever you think it is. For sure. <laughs> definitely in dollars, but yeah, in time too. Yeah, whatever you think is going to cost, just 100x it. I mean, yes. what did you think it was going to be? And if you don't mind, uh, like as a factor. <laughs> oh, oh, Yeah. A, a lot less zeros, mm-hmm. like multiples of zeros. Yeah, and I, I can only speak on this, right, because I do have an engineering background. Yeah. I did, you know, I did computer science in college. My wife, computer science. My brothers yeah. are all computer science. I understand Yeah. what's involved. Yeah, in well, software. you can do software on the cheap. You can. Uh, it's not. Now you're trading time for money. Yeah. Or money for time. Yeah, well, it's it also what you guys call technical debt, right? Yeah. Like, you do it on the cheap now, you're going to pay for it. When you do you're gonna it right. pay for it later, and mm-hmm. when you got a franchise system, like you can't have bugs, right? Yeah. Like it goes back. Like it's important. Well, just to put it in layman's terms, technical debt and software, right? You do it fast yeah. for now, so you, and you'll clean up later. Is like 
putting poor foundation on the house and fixing yes. the foundation later. Yeah, yeah, and it's just as difficult. <laughs> it's just as difficult. <laughs> All right, well, now we got to fix these different foundations. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not as simple like, oh, we'll just fix it later. It's like we got to undo because there's so many ripple effects and spider webs inside of, of software. Man, we could spend a whole nother podcast talking mm -hmm. about the similarities of building software and flipping a house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you haven't gone through it, you don't know. You There's no way you can explain to someone no. how difficult it is, how difficult it is to create a quality product, especially when it, it's important. Like, it, like getting it right is important. Like mm -hmm. the analysis can't be, it can't be sort of. Can be glitchy or unreliable. Yeah, like it's it's important, but man, it's like it kind of like franchising. You learn so much about your craft mm -hmm. when you put it in software. Yeah, it, it's it's like you learn it. You learn it at a completely different different level. And so we've been focused on uh, we've been focused on flips for from the beginning. We we do some buy and hold rentals. But now we're really starting to lean into um, having the same model toward buy and holds. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, I've had my head down trying to develop that model and get that into the, the software. And it's a, it's, it's a heavy lift. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a chance to, you know, go through your website before a yeah. podcast and going to new again houses. It looks like people can submit inquiries mm -hmm. to say, Hey, you know, like I want to sell my house. Yep. Is that accurate? Correct. And that's all. Yep. And then that, depending on where you are nationwide or what, what part of the country you're in, you get those leads exclusively. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if I wasn't running an operation right now, I'd be like, where do I sign up? Yeah. So, yeah. for someone that's listening who's interested, yeah. like, how would they express interest yeah. in being a franchise owner? Yeah. And, and that lead, that lead gen piece, what we've tried to do is lean into our competitive advantage of being a franchise. And so, we really lean into like we, we lean into the local because mm -hmm. it's protected territories we can put our local owner front and center as mm -hmm. the hero but then that's great and then also the local unique content that google values so mm -hmm. much right so that's really difficult for other for franchises that don't have protected territories they're really limited there mm -hmm. we really lean into that and so i like that we 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 um, leverage the local content, but it's through the franchise site, and so we're able to boost the SEO because it's piggybacking on all of the other local sites. Mm -hmm. But we're able to go really deep into that local content and get ourselves um, recognized as Google, as we're trying to be the the most credible local. Uh, option mm -hmm. on on page one. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, in in terms of um, there's a lot there's a lot to it. Our um, our process for becoming a franchise owner is about five weeks, mm -hmm. and it's the same same concept. We don't want people drinking from a fire hose. We don't want hasty decisions because it's ten year it's a ten year marriage. <laughs> uh, it's a ten year agreement, and so we want to make sure it's the right cultural uh, the right cultural fit. And so it's a five-week process. It's kind of a guided guided discovery, just like our training is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's at New Again Houses. Um, and there's the franchise tab. Uh, there's always all, all kinds of different ways to find us. 
So go to the New Game Houses website. Yeah. Click on that franchise tab. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. So one thing is really cool, and I look forward to being able to do this. Uh, you came here with your son. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like, I'm not at a place yet where I can bring my kids with me. Yeah. But I look forward to that day. Yeah. Where I can. So talk to me. Like, what was important about bringing your son with you here? Yeah. Um, you know, he he happens to to have the the real estate the real estate bug, mm-hmm. and um, he's actually a, a a fan of the podcast. He's listened to the podcast a lot. They're oh. uh, doing some doing. They got a pretty good wholesaling um, business going, and I think he's really learned a lot and using a lot of what he's what he's learned from you. And so, um, you know, I think we all when entrepreneurs you think there's a chance that one of your kids might enjoy what you enjoy. And mm-hmm. so when that, when that comes true, it's really rewarding. But I think being an entrepreneur, you know, kids, I think kids are inspired by that. Maybe it's what it's, maybe it's what we do, mm-hmm. but it could be something else. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, it's, it is really, it is really rewarding and it, it, we've always got something to talk about. Yeah. Spend I mean, time together with. Yeah. You brought him here, went to the Suns game. Yeah. Right? You're going to the yeah. Grand Canyon. Uh, yeah. You're able to create, um, I'm not sure, life experiences, but he gets to see what it's like uh, when you run a business. He gets to see mm-hmm. perks. Maybe he also gets to see the downsides. Yeah. <laughs> the negative days. Yeah. But he gets, to, he gets to, he gets a sneak peek before, before he has to, to commit to all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, um, it, it's, it's really cool. Like it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's really, it, it's really rewarding and fortunate to have a lot of the, fortunate to have a lot of the same interests. Yeah. Um, we like a lot of the same things. And so it, it, it is, it's, it's, a um, it, it's a real, it's a real, it's a real privilege yeah. you know, to be able to, to build something with your kids. Is he the oldest? He is, yeah, yeah. 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 So my daughter is twelve. Yeah. And I hope. Yeah. I'm not gonna impose it on, on her, but I hope that she has that that same bug too. She's a strong driver, stubborn as heck. So yeah. I feel like she's gonna be either an entrepreneur or a salesperson. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's um so, it's so rewarding to see your kids you know go from twelve. That's when they, that that was my favorite. That's it's been my favorite part of parenting is. They, they just start to spread their wings mm-hmm. and and find their own find their own path and hopefully hopefully we do a good job and they're inspired by mm-hmm. something we do so that they can find so that they can find their their thing and um, yeah it's it's really cool we we tried to our big thing is we just wanted our kids to be independent like mm-hmm. we wanted them to be able to to go um, we didn't want them to be helpless yeah. You know, and and be able to have confidence and confidence in going and taking on something something new, mm-hmm. uh, and not be afraid afraid by it, and have that in, that independence. Um, I I think I heard you guys saying he played soccer in college. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, what position? Uh, he's a he's a midfielder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a forward. All my kids are midfielders. Mm-hmm. Um, but our our my two girls both played uh, played soccer too, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's another thing. We're we're all massive Arsenal Arsenal supporters. Uh, I have been for over twenty years. 
our favorite place in the world is London. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Massive Arsenal support. It's a good year. <laughs> we're too, completely disconnected. We're, yeah. Yeah. There's only uh, one team I'm paying attention to, and you can imagine why. It's that team in Miami. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> so good for uh, it's so good for the game uh, in yeah. America. Yeah. 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 Uh, so is this the first time you travel with him or are there other times you've traveled? Uh, no, we've been, we've been a lot of places together. So yeah. for anyone that's listening, what is the most eye-opening thing about traveling, having your kids come along with you for your business ventures? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I think, I guess I'm thinking back to my, like nothing's easy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, I think we, we look back and we see some of us may see our parents try to put on a good face, like everything's easy and they, they try to hide us from the hard parts of it. But if you protect us, they do protect us. And sometimes you don't, you don't really understand all of the struggles that your parents go through until later in life, or maybe you never, like, I, I don't know all the struggles my dad had mm -hmm. trying to manage working in a factory and building these businesses on, on the side because he protected me from it. And I wish I'd have known, you know, I could have learned so much from seeing him go through those struggles. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, so, you know, none of this is easy. Like anybody <laughs> gets on this podcast and says, like, you, you have people that have built really big things here. If they're honest, none of it's easy. It doesn't get easy. It just gets more complicated, more responsibility. So um, I think sharing that with your kids and them actually like understanding like how hard it is and the 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 struggle and the perseverance mm -hmm. and the persistence that it takes to like grind through solutions and then them having the opportunity to do that themselves and sometimes not being able to protect them from it, mm -hmm. you know, and they just have to, they have to work through it. Um, like it's a connection that I think a lot of people never had with their parents. Mm -hmm. That's unique if you share it in a business. Yeah. And I would imagine like families that have a, a business together, you know, whether that's a dry cleaner or whatever, like they're probably – have a deeper connection mm -hmm. and probably a deeper appreciation and respect for yeah. one another yeah through that i believe that yeah, uh, yeah. definitely my parents um did it you know they protected us yeah um i do remember their fights about money right? yeah i remember those fights yeah uh, or at least the ones that were <laughs> in mm -hmm. front of us you know last year was pretty tough in real estate yeah and i yeah. remember we had a conversation you know the girls are crying they're acting spoiled right mm -hmm. they're kids yeah. Right. They want to do this. They want to do this. Right. Yeah. With without regard for budgets or anything else. And I had to sit down with them. It's like, hey, look, I understand you want to do this, this, and this. Look, I'm not discounting it, but here's also the reality of the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, moms and mortgages, mm -hmm. not good times. Yeah. Dads in real estate, we're talking conversations about letting people go in the yeah. organization. Right. Yeah. So I understand you want to go to Red Robin. Yeah. But right now, like, yeah. We've got a lot of things we're worried about, right? And we had that conversation, and uh, I felt like it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But my wife's like, 
I think we're putting too much of a reality on them. Mm. Like they're still young, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. there's six, ten, and twelve now, so five, nine, and eleven mm. last year. Yeah, yeah, right. But I felt like they were getting a little entitled, mm-hmm. and so they needed to like <laughs> we needed to hit them with a reality check. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that was the right thing to do, but that's what we did. Yeah, man. I'm, I mean, I just think, yeah, we could have another podcast on <laughs> on parenting ideas and how it relates to business and coaching. Yeah. But you know, I I had the advantage of coaching early in life, and so I saw the end product of parenting because mm-hmm. I coached, yeah. I recruited them and I coached them, and I took a lot of mental notes from like the parents that did that well. Yeah, parenting styles. Yeah. Yeah, and then I would I would talk to him about it. Like, what did you like? What was your philosophy here? Mm-hmm. And they didn't they didn't protect they didn't protect their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like you gotta let them struggle and let them fail. Mm-hmm. And going back to coaching, like you can't learn you can't learn without failure. No, you cannot. Like if we protect each other from failure, like we'll never be good at never be good at anything mm-hmm. right like yeah. struggle but it's it's the failure that you learn from but then just the the perseverance to like get up you know get yourself up and going back to to sean like mm-hmm. he articulated that so well i think it was a couple of weeks ago he yeah. articulated that so well like you have to pick yourself you have to pick yourself up mm-hmm. right there's so you noticed a trend between parents that let their kids experience failure and the resiliency within those kids. Is that, oh, what, man. Is that what you're saying? Oh man, I still coach. Like I still coach club. I still coach club and mm. like the urge for parents today to protect their kids mm-hmm. and not let them struggle through their own problems and find their own solutions. It's just cheating them. Mm-hmm. Like what what is sports? Right? Like, what is the benefit of sports? It's like, that's adversity. Mm-hmm. Like, where in life is some upper middle class kid in America going to experience adversity like, in real life? Like, they're not going through dark alleys. No. Right? Like, right. They're not fighting their way out of their neighborhood. No. Like, where are they, where are they going to experience adversity and learn persistence well sports that's it if we take that away from them like if we take the adversity away like what do we like what chance do they have because when you if you want to build something if you want to spread your wings like you're gonna have to fail and pick yourself up Mm -hmm. get through it yeah we're we're bringing on a recruiter and her favorite place to recruit are former college athletes. Yeah. Right. So yeah. It's like if they're not like if they're not former college athletes or excelled yeah. in something else. Yeah. Right. So that person the ability to persevere and excel. And you yeah. know, one of the things that I was talking about was I, I was like, I was doing a presentation about leadership. Yeah. And how you have to let your people fail. And it sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> it sucks. Uh-huh. Right. And and people struggle with it. Like yeah. letting your letting your team fail. Especially because you know money's on the line when yeah, you fail. For sure. Uh, but then I put it another way. It's like, well, how many helicopter parents are you like, man, I love the way they raise their kids? No. No one. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the same thing. 
Yeah. You're not, if they're not letting yeah. their kids fail and you see like they're, they're coddling their kids yeah. and their kids are not, not contributing members of society, yeah. you got to yeah. let your team members eat dirt sometimes so that they you can solve to. problems. Yeah, because, you know, I think back, like our, our flipping operation, like those guys weren't better than me on day one. Right. Right? They got better than me, but it was because they made mistakes. Mm-hmm. Right? They, you, learn, you learn from them, and you have to be – but coaching, like the number one, the hardest thing with coaching that I've found is – the fear of failure for kids. So when you're coaching kids to do something, the, the, the lift of getting them to go outside their comfort zone mm-hmm. and try something they're not good at, the hardest thing to overcome is the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And until you create an environment where they're not afraid of failure, like you can't get from here to there. Like you can't develop, you can't no develop that player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like you have to go through that. You have to go through that failure. But it takes a, it takes a, uh, <coughs> it takes a bit of courage to to risk failure. And I think that's harder in today's world too, because your failure could end up on social media, right? Yeah. Like, so it's, but but yeah, it's it's so important. Well, I mean, there's one of the reasons why. So we offer coaching and mentorship and this and that. One of the things we don't do is you've never done a transaction before. We won't bring you on mm. for coaching. Yeah. And that might sound, you know, horrible, right? Like, you know, like if you don't have experience, don't apply, yeah. right? That might sound terrible. But what I have found is if you haven't done a deal before, there's a lot of skills in overcoming, persevering, problem solving. Yeah. Right? Like you've never done a deal before. You've got yeah. a lot of mental baggage yeah. that I don't feel qualified, right? Yeah. Or really the bandwidth to help as many people as possible yep. the, in, in, with that struggle. Yeah. The bandwidth is the bandwidth is important. And I think I think that's wise. In <clears throat> our franchise system, like most of the people that come in have not done a deal. Mm-hmm. And but we compensate for that by by just a lot of support and training. Ton of structure. We surround them, yeah. Structure, yeah. guardrails, community. Mm-hmm. Like we really try to surround them right. with a with a village, mm-hmm. um, and really try to overcompensate for that lack of experience. But yeah. there is no, there is no substitute for, <laughs> <laughs> for experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you got a lot of things going on, right? Yeah. Again, going back to we were talking about headline, right? Twenty three states, forty seven franchises franchise yeah. owners, the big vision. And you talked about yeah. you have to have a vision big enough yeah. for others to, to see themselves in it. Yeah. So what is your vision? Um, I think <clears throat> what, what I've learned from franchising is that people def- define that vision with a number. Like, I want to have 500 franchises. Um, I have really tried to fight that. And I don't think, I don't want to measure success in numbers. Mm-hmm. My why is I want to be a part of an organization that does something at the very highest level. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be a part of something that does it, the, be the best at it. Yeah. And I don't think that is 
quantity as much as quality. Right. And one of the things that I'm working through now is like, what is the optimal team size? Because you see these franchise systems that get really large really quick, and then they start hiring managers and then middle managers, and then they've got this whole bureaucracy before you. And that's what we're running from, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't want to recreate that. Like, I don't want to have 100 employees and right. 2,000 franchises. No, your quality of life suffers. Yeah, and like, so I, I keep coming back to, like, I think a small team has so many advantages. Mm-hmm. And thinking back to this past year in real estate, like the, the ground shifted under everybody's feet mm-hmm. in 2022, right? And, like, if you didn't pivot fast, you got in trouble quick, right? Like, mm-hmm. it happened so fast. And so our, our advantage was that we were small, and I compare it to a jet ski. Mm-hmm. Like, we were able to really pivot. We were able to uh, switch strategies with inventory and really navigate that well. Mm-hmm. But if we had been, like, a big freight liner <clears throat> of an organization – we could not have gotten through that mm-hmm. the way that we did. Yeah. And so when you think about building a business, like what do you want that to look like? Well, maybe it's better to think, all right, what do I want my team to look like? Like what does the what does the ideal best in class team look like? Mm-hmm. Is that 10 people? Is it 15 people? Is it 20 people? Let's figure out what that is and then how big how Big does the platform have to be to to set them up for success? Yeah, and so we're still figuring that out, but it's not going to be. I don't. I don't think of it in terms of becoming some massive organization. That's not success to me. Yeah. So going back to you, though, you're mentioning like that. You know, figuring out your why. What is your why? I, I think it. It is. It is. Being a, it is really being a part of a world-class organization. I get so much satisfaction in that. And, and maybe it, 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 it's not unlike, it's not unlike coaching. Um, because, you know, in coaching, your, your greatest success is when you see players do it better than mm-hmm. you could do it. Like that's the whole goal and you want to celebrate that. And I see that as this thing that we're building. Like, I want I want to empower, I truly want to empower not only our team, but the franchise owners to be better at this than we are. Yeah. And that that has I think that has always been my why. And it comes back to the 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 teaching, the the teaching gene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you think that's important? Well, why is that important to you? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question that I don't have an answer for yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, I just turned, I just turned fifty recently, and like, I feel like this whole thing has been self discovery. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's like a journey of self discovery. Yeah. Like I learned things about myself. Um when I did the accounting internship, right? Like I learned, I learned a lot about myself. I learned like how much I didn't know about myself. Like I was going to be an accountant and I hate accounting. Um, 
But I learn stuff there. You learn stuff from the the coaching and the teaching. You learn stuff um, at in every decade. You learn mm-hmm. stuff from parenting. But you, you, what you really learn is about yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like how much more do we learn and know about yourself after having kids? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're still a mystery, but mm-hmm. I learned a lot about my, I learned a lot yeah. about myself, but, um, I think honestly the, the I, I don't think I figured that out yet. Why that's my why. Yeah. And, and I think it'll change too. <clears throat> like my why when I was in my twenties was different in my thirties. Mm-hmm. I outgrew, I outgrew my why, mm-hmm. right? That's why I needed to do something different. Yeah. Then my why was different in my forties. Mm-hmm. And I hope my why is different in my fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm asking these questions because there's a lot of similarities. You can see, like, yeah. we have a lot of common interests. Yeah, and I have a lot of the same ambitions, but I still articulate at times. Still tra- struggle at times to articulate why that's yeah. important to me. You know, another another answer to that question is this. This made a profound effect on me when I heard it, and it was Nick Saban talking about um, on a 60 Minutes episode. And they asked him something about team chemistry. Mm-hmm. And he said, the secret to team chemistry is having people with similar ambitions. If you have a team with people with different ambition levels, none of them will be happy. Hmm. I heard that probably 10, 15 years ago, and it has stuck with me. And I think it's so it's so true. Yeah. And... I think part of my why and wanting to build that world-class team is because I want to have a team where are of similar ambition levels, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because if if you're surrounded by people that are more ambitious than you, they're going to be frustrated with you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and there are people way more ambitious than me, but I I value quality of life. Mm-hmm. in a way that they don't, but they'd be frustrated with me. Right. So like building a, an organization and a culture that is has has those things in in place, I think is part of is part of what I'm wanting to do. But I yeah. haven't figured I haven't figured it out. <laughs> What's your biggest struggle today? Um <clears throat> I think it's the responsibility. And you know, when you when you coach you just take you can't separate the personal responsibility it's it's very similar to parenting like mm-hmm. in theory you want to you can't you know and um when when you when you when you people trust you and they come in um that i carry that responsibility i'm sure you do with with students mm-hmm. that trust that trust you and um that that's a that's a lot um, it's a lot of responsibility. So kind of um, working through working through that um, along with just the responsibilities of building stuff. So now, like, I've figured out at some point along the way I need to be building things, but now you've got the responsibility of building them, not just for myself, but mm-hmm. for other people too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what is your superpower? Um. I would say two things. Um, I'm, I'm a really good listener, and I learn listening 
back in graduate school, I had an opportunity to um, be a uh, work with uh, World War II veterans in the VA hospital during graduate school. And I was there with them when they were dying. It was uh, around 2000, so that was kind of what was happening. And you'd, you'd walk in, you'd walk in this room, and you'd be, um, you didn't know what was on the other side, but you knew it was a, as a veteran. And they'd be getting things, limbs amputated and lonely, and all those things. And I'm 23 years old. Yeah. And so, the mentor of that program taught me active listening which I know you've written on mm-hmm. recently. Like there is nothing that I can say that has any value to a veteran who has fought in Normandy and is dying. Yeah. Right, I'm 23. There's nothing I can offer. The only the only thing that I could do was listen. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn to listen and he was really good at teaching me how to listen. And so yeah. I feel like um, I learned that there, and it's been so valuable, valuable throughout. Um, the other thing is, I think there's a um, um, just a, a relent, there's relentlessness. Yeah. Like when I see a problem that needs to be solved, I just don't let go of it until you're a bulldog. Yeah, and and maybe it's almost to a fault <laughs> because I probably spend more time on some problems yeah. than they I should have, but. Um, it's just that real that relentlessness, and but you get the satisfaction when it's done. Yeah, and I and I maybe I got that from Dennis Rodman's rebounding. Yeah, or maybe that's why you're such a big fan. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be like right. relentlessness, yeah. tenacity. I mean, yeah. I mean, I loved it too, right? I wish I had his Energizer Bunny energy. Yeah, right, where you can go all out on every play. I wish I had that. I don't have that. Yeah, right? I can go all out. Yeah, every tenth play. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but you can go out on every single play yeah. and not be tired. I mean, like you've watched yeah. the, the last dance, right? I mean, he was going out drinking, and the next day he's unbelievable. He's got the, he's at full capacity. Yeah. Can I tell you a story? One, yeah. One story about Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. One, one thing, like they asked him one time, like you know, he's the rebounding king, right? Like, mm-hmm. he, they said, um, and a, a journalist said, "How do you like, how do you rebound?" And Rodman was like. What do you mean? How do I rebound? How do you dig a hole? Mm-hmm. You get a shovel and you start digging. <laughs> yeah. It's just you just do it. So much of so many like there's a time where you you do just have to pick up a shovel and you get to work. You you dig, yeah. like especially in the beginning, right? right? Like you don't have an infrastructure, you don't have a team. Like there's a time in life where you just have to pick up the shovel and yeah and dig. That's exactly. It. I mean, I've said this a couple of times on today's show, right? The season of suffering. Like everyone that's been on the show, yeah, has gone through a season of suffering. You can't yeah. make it if you haven't suffered. No, no, yeah. you can't build anything without without that part of it. Yeah. So I want you to think about something you want to leave all the listeners with, right? Uh, last last thoughts. I want to make a couple of uh, you know announcements. So guys, if you got value today, please subscribe. Do not keep us a secret. We are on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The more signals we tell YouTube, the more <laughs> signals we tell uh, Apple, iTunes that this is valuable content, the better, the more people we can reach, right? A rising tide lifts all boats. So guys, please subscribe. Please, please leave a five-star review. All right. So yeah. what are some last thoughts? We've gone through a lot of topics here. Yeah. Yeah. Last thoughts you want to leave all the listeners with? Um, 
And I've, I've thought a lot about the, the why with coaching and the, in it, like the, the parallels we, we talked about, I talked about parenting today and I've, I've asked myself, you know, people, people, parents invest so much in their kids. They invest so much in sports while they do it. Like, what is the point of it? Like, they're not going to be professional. athletes, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things where I've landed in the past couple of years with coaching is maybe the point of it is to make them good teammates. And when you think about those qualities that came out in what the indicators of success for our Mm -hmm. franchise Mm -hmm. owners, um, self-management, relationship management, self-awareness, like those are the qualities of a good teammate. Mm -hmm. And maybe, and and that's who we want to, that's who we want to work with. Like that's what we, that's who we want to build teams with. That's who we want to enjoy success with or are good teammates. And so maybe, Maybe that's the point of a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today, and maybe that's what success looks like and this process looks like, is just learning how to be um, a better teammate. Mm -hmm. But then I also think that maybe success is intentionally surrounding yourself with good teammates. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. You want to be a valuable team member on a team where everyone wants to be contributing. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, like, what do I want for my kids? I don't want money for them, right? Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily want happiness for them. Like, they're going to find, they're going to have to find what happiness means to them. Yep. But what is important to me is that they're going to be contributing members of society. Yeah. Right? Like, that's what's important to me. Like, I yeah. want to, like, when, I, when I'm done, like, they're valuable people. Yeah. That's what yeah. I want. They give more than they took, you know? Mm-hmm. Being a good team. Being a good teammate. Teammate. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's... Maybe all of this is that. Maybe it's maybe it's that that simple. Yeah, maybe it uh-huh. is. Um, if someone wants to uh, get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, newagainhouses.com. And, uh, or if you want to get directly in contact with me, it's Matt Lavender on LinkedIn. Lavender with an I. There's not many of us, so I'm pretty easy to, <laughs> pretty easy to find. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks honor. for having me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys for watching. See you guys next time. Jump on the Steve train. We real estate disruptors.